It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Health Watch is the health show that looks deeper. We look into your health, the news, the things that are out there, and look even deeper into. What might be the God story, the deeper story, the more important lesson, the thing that could save your life and help our world, help ourselves? Today, we're going to be talking about what's happening to your heart. The biggest problem in America health-wise is not COVID. There's a bigger problem and COVID is indeed contributing. We're going to be talking about what's happening in hospitals in some areas, rationed care, uh, turning away people who are old and people who are disabled. Are you kidding me? What does that say about us? What's the deeper story, the God story? And we're going to take on masks as well. I'm not opposed to masks. I'm not opposed to the vaccine, but I am opposed to shutting down all conversation. What you're going to hear from someone who refuses to wear a mask and has done her homework might be fuel to fire up your brain to think about where are we heading? What's the bigger story, whether you wear your mask or you don't? All of these things are ways that we're looking behind the scenes and finding out the rest of the story, what's really going on. Some of social media can share these stories. You may remember this story from back at the beginning of the pandemic. I am literally telling you that they're murdering these people and nobody will listen to me. And they all know what's happening. They all agree with me and they all just shake their heads. And I'm like, am I the only one who is not a sociopath? To think that this is okay? Nobody, nobody has listened to anybody's lungs as long as I've been here. Even with disposable stethoscopes. I, you know, I keep telling them that, you know, the guys are like, the, my patient's going acidotic. We need to do something about this before his kidneys shut down, you know, give him some bicarb or something like that. And this is what they do. They let the patient's blood get acidotic. So anyways, kidneys shut down. And at the last minute, they finally decide to run bicarb. So they run five liters of bicarb into a person who's gained 20 pounds of water weight and completely throw him into heart failure. And he dies several hours later. COVID didn't kill that guy. I mean, he was a COVID patient. I mean, every single patient I've taken care of, guys, is a COVID patient. What I need is someone to help me save these people from being killed. Today, we're peeking behind the hospital curtain and giving you a little insight into what you don't know. For example, NPR did a, pre a piece on the denial of care affecting elderly and handicapped patients. Seriously, uh, many hospitals are rolling out COVID-19 vaccines, but it's also bulldozing healthcare workers with chaos and uh, what they call a chaotic free-for-all. Some are being turned away as we discourage unessential treatments and surgeries. And what about you? Are you getting the care you need? Take this story. As many as 40% of patients experiencing heart problems, heart attacks, for example, they're not going to the hospital. They're not calling 911. They're afraid of COVID-19 transmission in the hospitals. Enter 
our guest. Help us sort through some of the issues affecting your health, affecting your heart. Dr. Fami Farah is a cardiologist based in Texas. She is passionate about intervention, nutrition, and your health. She's here for you today. She's here for me. Dr. Farah, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So that's a big story that I want to start with. The, the last thing that I mentioned, as many as 40%, that's almost, yeah, I mean, that's almost half of us that may be experiencing heart problems. We're not going to the hospital. We're not all even calling 911, no EMS. We're just kind of sucking it up at home. And that causes a lot of problems. We're living in fear, doctor. Uh, yes, that is the unfortunate, um, you know, part that we are experiencing during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it, you know, throughout the pandemic for the over the course of the last, um, you know, almost one year now, we have seen a decline in the number of patients who are coming into the hospital and emergency department for non-COVID related problems, specifically the more, you know, urgent problems like heart attack and stroke. We've seen, um, you know, we had data earlier from CDC a few months back um, during the summer. We saw that number was as much as 25% of uh, decline in the emergency department visit for heart attack and stroke-related problems. And that was a nationwide observation. So you're right. There's a lot of fear. Um, You know, people are afraid to be coming into the hospital because they're afraid that, you know, they may be contracting the virus. Uh, I've had, uh, you know, several talks and interviews regarding this topic, and every time I've reassured the listeners and the people in the community that you should absolutely seek care and go to the hospital and emergency department um, when, uh, you know, you need it, especially in setting up having chest pain or if you're fearing that it is a heart attack, you need to go to the hospital. I will say also that the hospitals are doing a fantastic job of, you know, quarantining and um, making sure that the spread doesn't happen. So it is a safe place to go and seek care for everybody. And let's just be realistic there. Let's just give a a crazy scenario that maybe there is a slight chance of getting COVID at a hospital. That could happen. There have been transmission of things. Okay. But in reality, if we just really look at what we're dealing with here, I would say that the slight risk is so minute in comparison to some of the problems that happen when we delay going to the hospital for heart problems. I mean, by the time they get to the hospital, if you've waited until it's abs- you think it's absolutely necessary, sometimes the damage has already been done. You're absolutely correct about that. Um, you know, when it comes to heart attack, time is life. Uh, that It is a very time-sensitive manner, and because uh, it, it matters when it comes to saving a person's life. In fact, in the setting of a heart attack, we really have a 90-minute window from the time the patient has a heart attack to us actually going inside the patient's heart vessel and opening up that vessel and restoring blood flow back to normal. That is not a very long window. And the reason it is time sensitive is because the longer the time that elapses, uh, you know, during a heart attack, the higher the chance of that part of the heart muscle of dying. And that increases the mortality rate 
of that patient significantly. It can actually kill them if they don't go to the hospital in the setting of a heart attack. And say in the event that this person survives the heart attack, they still are at very high risk of having complications down the road from this heart attack, severe complications like heart failure that can compromise the quality and quantity of life down the road. So important. We think of the brain, for example, and brain damage that can happen if you are a drowning victim, if you haven't had air for a certain amount of minutes. We all understand that if you're not breathing, you could have brain damage. You want to get air into the system to save parts of the brain lest it die off. We don't always associate that with the heart. And that's one of the reasons we're taking on this issue today. Some of the things that we're peeking behind the curtain and saying there's some dangers to you in this new COVID area, we need to pay attention. Um, Dr. Farah, true story, mom had a heart attack and women have heart attacks that may have different symptoms. Uh, Over a year ago, had uh, teeth replaced, you know, getting getting those teeth, those uh, fake teeth in, uh, and she was taking a lot of medication. She had a lot of jaw pain. She didn't realize that was a symptom. She waited over a week to go into the hospital, and she had a very slim chance of living. Now, I'm going to say, hallelujah, she is alive and well, just spent Christmas together, and that's glorious. But that's to say that the danger of not going in, 40% of us saying, yeah, I'm afraid of COVID. Um, it's even worse when we don't understand the symptoms. Absolutely, yes. Um you know, uh, it's one thing when you recognize the symptom and you don't go, you shouldn't be doing that. But equally as important is to recognize the symptoms. You know, some of the classic symptoms of heart attack um, I'd like to go over are, you know, the chest pain. Uh, usually it involves crushing chest pain, uh, shortness of breath, feels diaphoretic, meaning like sweaty and clammy, um, just fatigued. All those are very classic symptoms of heart attack. Now, there's a subset, especially women who have what's called atypical symptoms often. And that atypical symptoms means they may not have the crushing type of chest pain. They may have no chest pain at all. It may just come as indigestion, like severe indigestion-like symptoms, which is pretty classic in women, um, or just uh, you know shortness of breath or feeling of nausea, like just feeling like I, I don't feel well, I'm nauseated and severe fatigue. All those symptoms, if it's out of the ordinary and you're having you know, unexplained, uh, severe indigestion-like symptoms that just won't go away, it warrants an evaluation, a cardiac evaluation. Can we talk a bit, too, about we're ending the month of December, but December this time of the year is one of the deadliest months of the year when it comes to heart attacks. Why exactly is that? We can imagine the stress of Christmas, maybe, and the holidays. Yeah, that's right. There's such a thing, uh, you know, there's something called holiday heart attack. Uh, We see uh, an increased rate of hospitalization due to heart attack, uh, and not just heart attack, heart disease-related hospitalizations just tend to go up during this time of the year between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And the reason for that is there's, you know, more than one factor uh, involved. Uh, For one, 
stress level is usually very high during this time of the year. Uh, two, you know, the yeah. flu plays a big role because uh, during the winter months is when we tend to get the flu or cold and virus has an, you know, it has an effect on our coronary arteries and the blockages. They tend to destabilize the blockages that we have and it can cause a heart attack. So that's a second reason why we see such an uptick in the rate of heart attack. But there are other things like, you know, diet. Typically during the holiday season, people tend to, you know, stray a little bit from their usual healthy routine and they indulge in rather unhealthy types of foods, foods that are high in sodium like salt and uh, high cholesterol. And that's a risk factor for heart failure. So people who have, you know, reduced heart function, they tend to go into acute heart failure and they end up in the hospital with that. And then alcohol consumption. Typically during the holiday season, uh, people tend to drink more. And alcohol consumption is directly related to heart disease and heart failure-like symptoms. And that's a cause as well. So, so it's, you know, multifactorial. All right. Think about it. Tonight uh, is Wednesday and tomorrow is New Year's Eve, a traditional night for a lot of drinking, especially. I mean, keep that in mind, even through the holidays, knowing a lot of the changes, Dr. Farai had to make those choices of, yeah, there's nothing wrong with some of the holiday treats and goodies. I just don't have to have a whole piece of everything, (laughs) maybe just a little bit of a taste of this, a taste of that and enjoy it because you know what tastes better is my health. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we can often think that all of the food that we're eating is giving us heartburn. And we don't realize that that's an actual symptom of a heart attack as well. Yes. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned something very good is, you know, portion control. Uh, you know, of course, we want you we want everybody to be able to enjoy the good food during the holiday, but doing it in moderation is the way to go. That sounds good. Now, here's some things I really want to get to as well as we bring it back to what's happening in our world right now and COVID. The American Psychological Association uh, say that Americans are struggling with the disruptions from COVID-19. Nearly eight in 10 adults, that's like 78%, almost 80% of us say the pandemic is a significant source of stress. So doctor, does the stress of the pandemic add to the risk of heart issues? It can, yes. Uh, Stress is a known risk factor for heart disease. Um, And not just heart disease, the other risk factors that are associated with heart disease, for instance, hypertension. Uh, Stress can cause people's blood pressure to elevate, and that in turn is a risk factor for heart disease. And yes, uh, I mean, this is unlike anything we've experienced in recent history. Um, It has, without a question or doubt, caused um, enormous amount of stress in everybody, more or less, um, for the last um, one year. Uh, it has disrupted, you know, every aspect of life. It has disrupted work life, uh, work home balance. Um, yeah. It has disrupted the financial stability in so many individuals, you know, millions in the United States. Uh, it has disrupted health in many people, you know. And um, even our, our uh, stress relievers, the things we do for fun to relieve stress, it's disrupted. Absolutely, yes. So every aspect of life has been just completely changed, and that is a lot to cope with. It is causing anxiety, 
depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mental, you know, the psychological aspect is huge during this pandemic. No kidding. And uh, not to mention, when we can't go anywhere, we are sedentary. We're sitting behind our desks, behind a computer, so much more so. And then there's the other aspect. Now, we talked about the stress of COVID, uh, some of the problems with being afraid to even go into the hospital. But I wanted to ask you as a cardiologist, um, we associate COVID-19 with pulmonary symptoms, but the cardiac side effects are are very real as well. And people don't always think about it. And there have been some warnings saying, if you have had COVID, you may want to get your heart checked. That is correct. Yes. Um, So COVID-19 is actually impacting many parts of the body, not just the pulmonary aspect. The cardiovascular um, problem that we're detecting with COVID is really big. And typically when people are, you know, getting into trouble, like the complications and a lot of death is happening due to actually the cardiac complications. We're seeing people of all age groups, including young uh, people like athletes. You know, I did a couple of interviews earlier, a few months earlier, but regarding the athletes, we, you know, athletes are high functioning individuals. They're healthy. And we've seen many athletes get into trouble and have cardiac complications as a result of COVID. Um, same thing with, you know, elderly folks, um, you know, when they, COVID is such a strong, it's creating such a strong inflammatory response that in many patients, it's putting them into heart failure. There are several key things that we're seeing with uh, as as a result of COVID. One is, of course, heart failure. The other is Hello? causing an inflammation within the muscle of the oh. heart, and it's causing uh, it's called myocarditis, and it can cause symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath. But additionally, it can lead to heart failure as a result of it. That's one of the complications of myocarditis. Uh, it can also cause arrhythmia, like, you know, erratic yes. heart rhythm. Uh, we're seeing lots of that in elderly and young people. That's why we, we really do, even for those of uh, you who may say, hey, you know, uh, this isn't as serious as some of the press is making it out to be. Uh, we've disrupted our lives. I understand that debate. I really do. Lives and livelihood and all of that. But we can and should agree that there are some serious complications to COVID. It is fairly serious. Don't take it lightly. Don't take your health lightly. No, we don't have to live in fear. We can live uh, smart. And that's why we do a program like this to help you to make great decisions for your health. And as we uh, have time today with Dr. Farah, I wanted to talk about heart disease in the United States and even putting COVID in perspective because about 655,000, 655,000 Americans die from heart disease each year. That's one in every four deaths in perspective. Um, 339 deaths attributed to COVID in the United States. Now, that's not to say that COVID isn't isn't important. It's not to say that we, you know, haven't needed to take it fairly seriously. But if we put the kind of effort out towards really helping Americans curb the problems that contribute to heart disease, as we have to COVID, we might see some of those 650 55,000 American deaths dwindle. What are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, yes, that is correct. I mean, uh, heart disease is the number one killer of Americans. Every year we see hundreds of thousands of people succumb to this disease. Um, you know, and with COVID, uh, I suspect that number is going to be even higher because of the additional, um, you know, complications that COVID, COVID is causing uh, mm. when it comes to the heart. Uh, so absolutely, we need to raise uh, awareness on this as much as we can. You know, every minute we, approximately every minute, we lose a person to heart disease. And this is without COVID, you know. Um, so there's so much we can be doing, you know, the, the day-to-day healthy li- life, healthy living goes a long way when it comes to heart disease. You know, 80% of heart disease is preventable. So it is in our wow. control. Wow, that's a huge uh, statistic. Yes, it is, yes. 80% of heart disease is, uh, is uh, preventable, but we need to do our part and and prevent it in a timely manner, you know. Um, so So there's a lot we can be doing. You're amazing. And the, t- the time that you take to do interviews like this that are saving lives, getting people thinking is amazing. It's so important. When we really think about that, uh, yes, we're, we're wearing masks, for example, with COVID and we're washing our hands and we're taking preventative measures. But we don't have a big conversation about our immune system and how to strengthen our immune system and how to how, how to curb some of the choices with the sugars and the standard American diets and the sedentary lifestyle that can uh, destroy our immune system and make us more susceptible to things like COVID. Conversely, or in addition, I should say, the same thing with our heart. We're not talking about what we can do. We have a lot of wonderful treatments for when we do go to the hospital. But as you said, I'm blown away and I will not forget that number. 80% is of heart disease is preventable. So in our final minutes together, and you have been so generous with your time, and I, I, I can only imagine that this conversation, how many lives it may actually save. So I'm pretty excited about having you on today. I thought our final moments, you could just remind us of some things that maybe we've heard before, but maybe bears repeating that we can do to strengthen our heart, to make our our lives, not one of those 655,000 statistics or the 18 people who have already died during this broadcast of heart disease. Uh, Yes, I'm so grateful to be on your show uh, and and to be able to give this message to some of the listeners and some of the people in our communities. Um, You know, I will say this pandemic is a war that the entire humanity is fighting against one virus. And this vaccine is a testament to the resilience of the human race and what we can achieve when we come together. Now, we need to go the extra mile. We need to distribute the vaccine at a faster pace, of course. We need to make it more accessible. Take, and from a population standpoint, we can do a lot, too. We can take the vaccine when it becomes available to us and continue to take the precautions, such as wearing masks, maintaining social distance, not traveling, and immune health. I'm going to touch on uh, the heart health and immune health part a little bit. They go hand in hand together. Uh, The heart healthy diet also helps boost immune health because what we recommend is, uh, you know, more vegetables, staying away from 
preserved foods, eat healthy, fresh meals, you know, less meat, less cholesterol, less sodium in your diet, more fruits and vegetables, staying hydrated, and getting plenty of exercise and adequate sleep and stress management. All of that is going to not only help with your heart health and help you with prevention, but also help your immune health to hopefully not get the vac- uh, the virus. Oh, and thankfully, when we go down that road, maybe this is our opportunity to have the light turn on for us to say, hmm, every calorie counts, our decisions matter, what we do today will affect our health as we move forward into 2021. Thanks for setting us straight and getting us on the right road, Dr. Farah. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you. It was it was my pleasure to be here. I, I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing to raise awareness. Ripping off your mask when you get back into the car is the new taking off your bra when you get home. Ears, ears are the new purse in face mask mania. My ears are hold glasses, headphones, stick a pin in there, and then you have the face mask, right? It's crazy. It's a mask world. And our guest that is joining me now say, yeah, masks work, Uh, but only as tools for institutionalized tyranny. Whoa. Say what you really think, Karen Catalina. I'm so glad to have you with us. I do always try to do that, Michelle. <laughs> well, we uh, go ahead. Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, all right. So, no, you, yes. you, you. So here's the thing I want you to know about our guest. She's a commenter, uh, commentator, rather. She's a columnist. She's a talk show host. So we both have that thing of let the guest talk. So that's what you just <laughs> heard right there. It's a talk show host thing. You may not get it, but now you're here. So when we pull back the curtain on mm-hmm. our health and look at the whole story, we start seeing things that maybe we didn't see before. But I'm going to challenge you. Come on, Karen. With the whole mask thing, it's not all bad wearing a mask. You can go into the grocery store and buy obscene amounts of junk food and nobody knows. You know what? I haven't gotten to the point where I can laugh about it yet. I do not wear a mask. My ears are not sore. I refuse to wear a mask someone wants to arrest me fine i have not worn a mask in a state that has mandated it since april it is to me if if you had to and tomorrow's last day of 2020 if you had to use one symbol of 2020 and i don't think it's 2020's fault i think it's the uh, radical communist's fault i would say it is a mask it isn't just the mask they are forcing people to wear which don't work and that's not even the half of it it's not a matter of whether they work to protect a virus it is a matter of what they do work to do as i mentioned which is to remove individuality to uh, make us all look act and behave the same to make us submissive on my wall you've really got me because these masks i've been ranting about them forever and i was very early on saying this was very, very evil, and uh, and here's why. So let's see, where is my, yes, here it is. Did you know that 20, I found this six months ago, whatever, 2,300 years ago, long before Islam, Arabs discovered that forcing people to cover their nose and their mouths Ouch. broke their will and individuality and de- depersonalized them. It made them submissive. That's why they imposed on every woman 
the mandatory use of a fabric over her face. The mask is the beginning of deleting individuality. And guess what? That is exactly what is necessary to bring about socialism slash communism, which is what we are truly fighting. Uh, that and removing religion and faith and God and guns and uh, straight men, uh, all of that. Self-sufficiency, independence, independence of thought, on and on it goes. Uh, our Bill of Rights are all threats to a socialist agenda. And the minute I saw that Democrat governors were marching to an entirely different drummer than just anybody else, they ignored any piece of information contradictory to their narrative. I knew that the masks were something that they wanted to get the entire country to do in order to break our will. Do all I think masks, that that's the, all the time? Only exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't. <laughs> have you seen the way the Democrats are in love with masks? Now, granted, they're not in love with them. You know, behind closed doors, they're in love with them for the great unwashed, you and me. Uh, it's diabolical. And I used to not wear one for my own personal reasons. I won't wear one. I'll walk out of a store. But now I don't wear one in order to be a model of independence of thought, which we are on the verge of losing. And you do we see are. people starting to fight back now. It's about well, we time. We need some of the education to have the bigger picture. Look, I've always been a little bit of a germaphobe. I was always that weird person that used a scarf or my sleeve to open a public door handle. So, you know, and, and I don't love masks. I hate them. But I am a bit of a germaphobe now. I'm cool, by the way, Karen. I just want you to know I'm cool now. But here's the thing. We, even, even if I were, uh, like, traveling to China, everyone wears masks over there or in Japan. But the problem is we will, we are so set on mask and vaccine euphoria, a, a silver bill, bullet that's going to be the cure-all that we don't, we don't do our own thinking. Now, the New York Post did a study that was published this month in Physics of Fluid that wearing a mask, and this is just one of many that you know of, Karen, but just for our mm -hmm. listeners' sake, wearing a yeah. mask could be more dangerous than not wearing one at all because it slows down airflow. It stops big particles. Yay. And yeah, you might be less likely to catch something, but you know, those pesky little C19 particles are tiny. They're smaller than 2.5 micrometers. So we are wearing our masks wrong. We're touching stuff. Used masks are awful on top of it at, at the risk of talking way too much and just not shutting up and letting my guest no, talk. No, 1.5 right billion face masks are going to pollute the ocean this year. Yeah. You can't go Where down are those the road without environmentalists when you need them. So oh, girlfriend. Yeah. Tell me about it. Remember how uh, mm -hmm. plastic sacks were the new evil and now they're back? They're the accessory yeah. that nobody yeah. wants to be without? Here's what I think is the most dangerous thing about masks. And that is that people believe that whatever they think, they're allowed to force on others. If you're a germaphobe and you want to wear a mask for the rest of your life, have at it. I don't mean just you, but anyone. 
but the people who are being enculturated and conditioned to believe that whatever not only the government says, but whatever they want, they can force on other people and uh, uh, marginalize them, demonize them, bully and intimidate them into doing their will is all part of this broad censorship and demonization of dissent which is all a part of descending into an authoritarian uh, society. And if America falls to that, the rest of the free world falls with it. There couldn't be anything more. Uh, the stakes couldn't be higher for all of it. So I cheer and applaud whenever people go into a CVS en masse. I did it with three people. Uh, uh, without a mask, unmask on mask. And don't forget, your immune system is supposed to be strong. If you keep yourself in a bubble, you will never be immune to anything. I have asthma yeah. and allergies. My immune system is overactive. And I'll be damned if I'm going to cover my mouth when I have trouble sometimes breathing anyway. And it's the last miserable. thing I'm going to do oh. is take orders mm -hmm from an idiot, hypocrite, an unelected bureaucrat who uh, thinks that everyone else ought to do what he, he or she herself refuses to do. It's a matrix. Well, let's point out uh, Anthony Fauci made one of the most infamous <laughs> statements uh, in, in of the year in a 60-minute interview telling Americans that there's no reason to be walking around in a mask. So let's just say mm -hmm. that we think we know something and we really, really don't. Information can change at a drop of a hat. And But here's the, the deeper story. I am not opposed, if you want to wear a mask, I'm not opposed to using my scarf to open up public door handles, especially going out of a bathroom. Dang. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not opposed to the vaccine. I'm not anti-vax. I just want to know more about what's going on in my body. So look, I'm not opposed to any of this. However, what I am worried about are the very things that you are pointing out, Karen. Have you noticed that our world is looking more and more like a communist bloc country with draconian sure. controls and propaganda in the supermarket, on right. television, continuously? Pretty soon we're all going to be wearing gray Hillary Clinton jumpsuits. We will continue to do it as long as we comply with it. One of my many mottos is don't comply with a lie. Again, if you want to wear one, fine. They show a symbol of submission and obedience, which is just what the authoritarians want to do. Yeah, And here we are in a place where anything goes, but boy, if you don't wear a mask, you, right. you're going to get slapped and slapped heavy. It's, it's something to think about. And I appreciate you coming on. Not everyone who's listening sure. is going to agree. Some people, their hackles are going to be raised. And you know what? That's, That's okay. I encourage people to connect with me on Parler, on Twitter, on Facebook, you name it. I'm on all of them, or not all of them. And before you, and, and please, dissent and discussion and disagreement is what America used to be about. But before you tell me I'm horrible, I'm terrible, 
Ask yourself, why are you so angry that somebody disagrees with you? Is there only one way to look at things, only one way to live, only one way to think? Only communists and authoritarians believe that. And if you do, you're going to be a useful idiot for them, and you'll go down too. But by then, it'll be too late. And with that, we're going to drop the mic. Karen, (laughs) it's been so much fun. Karen Cataline, it has been a delight. We will put a link to some of your goodness so people can take it in and enjoy themselves. Have a great new year. A mask-free new year. year. And pray for our country. Well, tragedy, it can bring out the best in us. Really, it can. Or it can bring out the worst. What? is the corona environment really bringing out and how can we find a better story what we call the god story here is one issue that we'll be taking on today in los angeles care rationing is actually on the table it is literally being considered a document that was obtained by the times of los angeles outlined how to allocate resources in a crisis situation And it was circulated among doctors and the four hospitals in Los Angeles County. So in this game of lifeboat, what people get in and what people get tossed, we're going to get the thoughts on this with a little view from Jerusalem. Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein, he is the Director of Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, a frequent flyer here on this program, and an absolute delight. Rabbi, good to connect with you. It's great to be back, uh, Michelle, and wishing all of our listeners a healthy, happy, productive, and spiritually uplifting 2021. Well, let's hope so, because uh, 2020, actually, I came to the realization that for the first time in human history, 2020, well, hindsight will actually be 2020 come January 1st. <laughs> so that's going to be good. But going back to to this idea of rationing, uh, here we had the holidays. We have New Year's, you celebrated Hanukkah, we celebrated Christmas. Can you imagine with me? that there wasn't quite enough food at your holiday table and you decide that perhaps you'll have to toss out a son or a daughter or lord forbid a grandkid i i mean i i can't even imagine that it's much the same when patients exceed their staff's ability to care for them what do you do how do you choose and in an emergency how do you navigate rabbi well, um, the existence of, of triage and of ordering priorities about who gets what and how you allocate resources is nothing, is nothing terribly new. We're used to that in wartime conditions, uh, and, and some people mm-hmm. would argue that that's what humanity does in uh, not so fairly or uh, equitably allocating resources, including food and water, to people all over, all over the, the globe. What we should do about that is another issue and something we should explore at a different time. My concern here is not the need for rationing, but how certain places and certain countries and certain locales 
got to a position where they would have to do that all together. Because clearly, if there uh, would have been, with hindsight, as you say, if there would have been better ways of enforcing guidelines, if there would have been more public support for them, we would not have gotten to the, uh, to the point. Um, I'm not going to tell you Israel did a terrific job. Uh, in the first wave, they actually did a terrific job. And then people got a little lazy, and various subgroups, including young people, unfortunately, and some particular uh, subgroups in the population said, well, you know, we, they, we must have herd immunity, our little group, or this is getting too restrictive of our, our lifestyle and rather play Russian roulette. Both of those groups did not look at the impact that their actions would have on the rest of the population. Governments didn't allocate things properly, and that's, that's where there's really room to talk. Uh, in, in the United States, fully one quarter of those people who died of the 300,000 were people in nursing homes, uh, and their deaths were brought about by four governors who instructed hospitals to take uh, COVID patients and return them to the nursing homes that they came from, which then allowed the disease to spread like wildfire. Uh, these governors, uh, starting with Andrew Cuomo, have blood on their hands. Um, and, and that's something we should all be looking at, how we, how we got to that. How is it that certain European countries uh, had to make these decisions almost to, the be almost to the beginning? Other countries, including, to its credit, the United States and, and Israel, said, despite the fact that some people are saying, let the old die, they've had their chance already, and let's just treat the young, and we won't get to the point that we have a shortage of ventilators, back in the old days when they thought ventilators were, was the way to, uh, to treat people. Um, most, in the United States did not go that route, and people said, we're not, we're not willing to sacrifice a whole cadre of the population uh, uh, because they've had their chance. Or, and I, I suspect this is coming up on your agenda, Michelle, the people using the uh, coronavirus crisis to uh, roll out the argument of quality of life. Let us decide who is worthwhile living, whose life is worthwhile saving and preserving, and who's not. Uh, you've probably you've probably seen the the item about Oregon, where recently a 64 year old quadriplegic who had lived as a quadriplegic for many years um, essentially was DNR'd by a physician who said, "Well, you know, this guy doesn't really have quality of life. He wasn't consulted. He wasn't even ill." But they said, this person does not really deserve to live. Where have we heard that before, Michelle? Where have we heard people say, well, we're going to be merciful, and we're going to allow people to exit stage left graciously, 
and will even push them to do it. And this is all good for them and good for everyone else. It frees up hospital beds. It, it, it allows the government to save money on the care of the terminally ill. Where have we heard arguments about the quality of life rather than what you and I believe in, which is the sanctity of life? When you believe in the sanctity of life, quality of life is not so much of an issue. Well, of course, we're seeing that debate played out in many countries around the world and even in some states here in the United States where we're deciding, well, euthanasia laws, it's mercy killing, it's it's actual kindness. And if we really care for people, if we really have a, a value for life, we will have mercy we we have mercy on our animals if a horse breaks its leg we'll we'll put it out of its misery why would we not do the same for humans and that's that's part of the argument right and and i hope we all have the moxie to understand well the difference is that we're not two-legged horses uh, those of us who believe in a God who created us and created horses for that matter, but did argue and instruct us that there's a specialness to human life, that humans who are created in the image of God puts the value of their life, yes, on a higher plane than animals. We're not just co-equal citizens of the same environmental neighborhood who have to learn to coexist with each other. There is something special to human life. And as soon as we, as soon as we overlook that, as soon as we turn our backs to, to that tradition, then you allow things like, let's remember, it was Nazi Germany that yes. started even before the Holocaust by, by terminating the lives of a physically handicapped, of, of, uh, of, of mentally handicapped, those laws, the euthanasia laws in Germany, was, to my knowledge, the first attempt of a whole society to uh, weed out the ones we're not so comfortable with. And here Certainly. in the United States, I would never compare him, but Peter Singer, a, a philosopher at Princeton, has argued that we should, we have... We have to allocate resources. We don't have enough to go around, which is not really true. But assuming that it would be, he says we should study newborn children for 72 hours and decide whether their their lives are really of the quality that they should be preserved. Because there is really very little difference between a child who's newly born and one that is still in the ninth month of gestation and still enwrapped in his mother's uterus. They both represent potential lives, so there should be no problem of terminating. And that's not murder. A newborn chimpanzee is far better preserved, far more mature than a newborn infant. If we permit abortion, if we permit contraception, we should have no problem terminating a new life of, of a baby. What's missing here, Michelle, is the divine guidance that a God does set rules and guidelines. They are slightly different between 
uh, between Jews and Christians, but they certainly both recognize that once a child comes into this world and is independent of his mother's womb, that that child is human, as fully human as anyone else, and that God forbid to take the life. I would also say that religious views run throughout all of the gamut of religions, uh, Buddhism, Christianity, Roman Catholicism, Hindus, Islam, Judaism, Sikhism. Uh, they have a, a commonality in that they have a value for human life, that life is indeed sacred and it is precious. When you mentioned Nazi Germany, some of the people that that came under scrutiny were the very ones that maybe in our society, we would say biblically, those who were uh, 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 gay, lesbian, of alternative lifestyles, well, they were the very ones who were also being looked at and, along with those who were handicapped and, and those who were had mental disorders, the undesirables. But there is something very interesting in a society that does have a tradition of valuing God the very people that you might find undesirable, you still defend the sanctity of life. There is something very precious there. So I'm going to, for a change, give you kind of a, a secular take on that. Um, one of the European countries that recently adopted a euthanasia law was Spain. Yes. The bill which was passed was introduced by the left-wing parties and resisted by... The right-wing parties. Now, this is not a question of anything that uh, Joe Biden proposes is going to be resisted by Trump supporters. This is classic European politics, left versus right. I'm not here to bash the left. I have leftist tendencies myself. But there is a difference in general between left and right. Um, anthropologist Richard, Richard Schweder uh, interviewed 600 subjects in communities in India and the United States about moral beliefs. He did a lot of investigation of this. His student, um, Jonathan Haidt, continued his work with thousands of people. Essentially, they came up with two different worldviews, nothing to do with religion, per se, between left and right. And they came to the conclusion that in many societies, at least in societies that had stability, there were three kinds of moral values that existed. And we're going to call them, uh, I'm going to ad uh, ad adapt the uh, terminology of a good friend of mine, Moshe Capel, who recently wrote a beautiful book about this. We're going to call these moral values fairness, loyalty, and restraint. Hmm. Fairness, you want to see justice, you want to see people getting what they should be getting. You want, to, you want to see the gaps between the haves and the have-nots filled up. Loyalty to your own group, to tradition, to the past, uh, uh, a sense of not discarding the past and looking at its, its values as a guide to the future. And finally, restraint, that these societies that are more stable uh, or the, the more traditional societies value certain kinds of restraints, including in activities 
that occur in the privacy of one's home. But they, they all uh, uh, put on a pedestal these three values, while progressive societies tend to look only at the first, at fairness, and uh, take a dimmer view and sometimes discard them altogether, but certainly put them way in the backseat, the values of loyalty and restraint. So what that tells us, Michelle, is that purely from a secular standpoint, for societies to cohere, for citizens to trust one another, for people to be able to continue their value system into the next generation, you need more than the search for Bernie Sanders, Alexandria, uh, AOC. Yeah. We'll just call her AOC. AO- oh, okay. Alexandria Cortez. AOC. <laughs> uh, for for those values to uh, to uh, not take over and 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 tend to extremes, you need the idea of loyalty to tradition and to and to your your uh, your home group, your nation, your community, and finally restraint. Now, those things all mark the societies you're talking about, all of these different religions. Forget about the spiritual values, not that for a nanosecond I would forget them, but purely for the sake of argument, what you've pointed to, Michelle, is that these societies all have this idea of loyalty and restraint besides the pursuit of fairness and have a chance of surviving while fairness societies tend to become quickly unfair because they double down on certain Mm. uh, applications of it and neglect the others when they're not fair to other people. And I I think you and I would say that those societies that manage to preserve fairness, loyalty, and restraint by coupling it to the revealed word of God are way ahead of the pack. Well said. I think in many of our societies where we're and areas where we see these breakdowns, one, we're surrendering our intellect to our emotion. But what I hear you saying is something that I see quite often in many circles of be it COVID, be it dealing with the homeless, whatever it may be, we enact kindness to the point of cruelty. In other words, we are so kind and we want to do such kind things that it in essence turns into cruelty. We see it on the streets played out in my hometown in Seattle where homelessness is rampant. The streets are rife with feces and people doing open drugs deals in the streets, but we don't want to stop people because it's their right and we want to show kindness to them we want to let them live wherever they want to and these people are living in absolute misery and yet you mentioned Como earlier Uh, Cuomo uh, has now put addicts at the top of the list of those getting the vaccine so grandma who uh, may be at high risk will have to wait unless she's got a heroin addiction so we have this kind of strange imbalance when we become imbalanced ourselves rabbi so how do we find in as we look into a new year a brand new year 2020 behind us thank you lord how do we find that balance in our own lives so that we can affect change in the world around us? 
No, I, I, I think um, this conversation is, is all headed in the same direction as we usually do, that the, 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 the way of God, atzas Hashem hisakum, the, the Bible says, the counsel of God, that is what is going to last. Um, I, I think the, the best way for us as individuals, I'm not talking about societies right now, but as individuals, is to redouble our efforts to be in touch with God and to do that not just by listening to the inner voice, which often gets a little bit distorted by our own needs, our mm-hmm. own subjectivity, but to, but to join together with like-minded people who are searching for the Word of God and to be open to it, to study to study scripture, to ask the important questions, but ask them, ask religious leaders to, to, to be more forceful in articulating them to the rest of, to the rest of society. But first and foremost, we, we have to recognize the, the value of human life, of what it means to be created in the image of God, and what a responsibility that creates, a, that puts upon us to share that worldview with others around us. I think that's well put. Uh, I think not just in uh, sharing that worldview, but living that worldview. Much of what you've talked about, the the standards that we need to have a thriving society, the restraint that we certainly don't see on social media or in our interactions. In fact, I would argue that there are things that are said to quote friends on social media that you would never say if you were face to face with someone so we're lacking that in our own behaviors in our own uh, so easily offended world and in our own way of maybe having our own personal lifeboat where someone else just doesn't have the kind of life that we value and so we're ready to throw them off i think that we're when we step up our game and live out our convictions as well as share them uh, verbally i think that's maybe step one in our own world what say you i i say that i think you've nailed it one of the most important uh works in the, the last 400 years uh, of, of Jewish life is uh, a book by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato in the 18th century. Um, it's uh, called in Hebrew, Mesilas Yisharim, The Path of the Just. It's a classic and has been studied in non-Jewish circles as well. But the, the opening line really is the most important. It's a, a, a conceit of such beautiful elegance and simplicity. You almost kick yourself when you hear it and say, why didn't I think of that first? He argues that every moment of life is an opportunity. There's nothing random. God put us here in this big stage, and, and, and we're sort of like writing the lines of the play. But, but the, the whole stage is there to see where we're going to get to in the end. And he says the first principle the most important thing you can do for yourself is to clarify yourself. What am I doing here? What is my obligation? And for religious people, you can quickly come to the conclusion that I'm here to do what God asks me to do, 
because he said it and because it's in my benefit. He doesn't get anything out of this. And at that point, when you really clarify that to yourself, everything you do, every single move that you make can be put, can be set up against this standard. Is this getting me closer to where God wants me to be for eternity or drive me further away? Because you never stay still. The next thing I do, the next five lines that I text on social, on mm. social media and that I wouldn't have the courage to do in person. Why is that not a religious choice? This will either get me closer wow. to God or further away. And you employ something like that. It's extremely, extremely powerful, and it, it helps quite a lot. The other thing I would say is if you live in New York State and you're faced with the, uh, the Cuomo uh, edicts, what you should do is get yourself addicted to Michelle Mendoza, <laughs> uh, and then you'll qualify uh, as an addict, and you'll get the vaccine as well. <laughs> and everyone's happy. This this is where we can get to the to the real God stories, and that's what we're really searching for. Everything that you just laid out. Rabbi, including listening to this, is, is, <laughs> is part of finding that inner peace. That's what we're really looking for. We all are, speaking of being addicts, we're all looking to anesthetize the, the pain that living in this broken world causes. But there is really only one cure, and that is that reunification with the God who created us to be in relationship with him. When we fall out of that relationship, when we when we cease to walk that walk and climb that climb to get closer, that's where we are so dissatisfied and we see things fall apart. But as we walk a little farther towards that goal, it does bring such joy. And in that joy, man, is that something we need as we look at a whole new year of uncertainty, getting out of 2020? Don't we need a little bit of that joy? And I've sure experienced it with you today. I always do. I'm, I'm always left in our conversations a better person than I was before we started. I appreciate that of you so very much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. So here's to a, uh, a healthy, happy, prosperous, and uplifting new year to everyone. And to remember the words of the great rabbi of Kutsk who said, the greatest gift of life is life itself. Let us never forget that. You see, there's a deeper story to all of it today, taking care of you, making better decisions for your health, taking your health into your own hands and not just surrendering all of your rights and all of your thoughts to someone else, being mindful of others and recognizing the preciousness of life, being willing to look a little bit deeper and find that God story. That's what we're looking for in real ways, practical ways, everyday ways, raw ways, not the churchy ways, not that there's anything wrong with church. This is just who we are on the My Michelle Live podcasts. And if you'd like to share the God story like this, share this, get the word out and be part of the team. Sign up for our newsletter. Go to MyMichelleLive.com. God bless you. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.